Welcome to the Intentionist Podcast, where we explore the interplay between intuition, spiritual health, and everything in between. I'm your host, Amy Schreiber. And I'm Hilary Zwallen. Our intention is to create a dialogue that inspires you to consciously forge your path with curiosity and compassion for life and its mysteries. season three today we are going to be talking about competition versus collaboration and harnessing connective compassionate energy and so our intention today is for you to leave feeling really clear about how to apply your creativity in a collaborative way to create abundance either financially spiritually or in gaining experience we're so excited to be back with you after this yes break. And and full disclosure, this is our second time recording this episode because we realized after taking, what, two and a half months off that you get a little rusty, right? We were very rusty. So yeah, hopefully this is a little tighter and clearer than our first oh, try. Good grief. Yes. Okay. All right. So we did that with our audience in mind. So hopefully, hopefully it will all come over clear. So today we're talking, like Amy said, about reaching your fullest potential with collaboration versus competition. So we want to talk about how this applies in leadership because- in, in w- whatever capacity, we're all leaders in some capacity. I think often the kind of old paradigm of leadership is the guy or the girl who is on the stage with the mic directing uh, or the the owner of the business or the person that's been put in charge for whatever reason. But we all know that there's all forms of new ways of of leading now with everything being turned on its head with our distribution channels in terms of communication, like social media, you know, kind of leveling the playing field and really just Mm -hmm. how we show up as parents or friends or just however we are in, in, uh, our communities. This also, we're also going to talk about how it relates in your own business, your relationship or your goals, and then how this can play out as you work towards your Dharma. And what I mean by that is by just doing what you came here to do. So in terms of leadership, I found this Reed Hoffman quote, and he was, it is, was the CEO of LinkedIn. I think the founder of LinkedIn. I know he's a big venture capitalist. And he said, no matter how brilliant your mind strategy, if you're playing a solo game, you'll always lose out to a team. And because we're steamrolling into the Aquarian age here, which is all about sharing, caring, and inclusion, which is really, it's supposed to start when Pluto enters Aquarius in 2024 in terms of, you know, astrological calendars. So we're really in a process of a big shift right now. And if, if you're subscribing to those types of beliefs, which obviously here on Intentionists, we're into it. So we're watching this drama play out in the news. We're watching how it is projected and exaggerated. And what I'm seeing play out in my own life and on the collective is this idea that you get so much further when you reach out and look for and try to try to do things as a group and not just doing something as a group, but doing things that will elevate a group. Absolutely. So I have a quote from Yogi Bhajan that was from spring of 2003. And he says, in this time, Piscean values are giving way to Aquarian values. The difference between the two is very simple. Piscean values work from the ego. They create boundaries. Aquarian values have no boundaries. They are infinite. Aquarian consciousness takes you inside your soul so that you can relate to the soul in all. Mm. 
That's interesting thinking about kind of this in my own life, the trajectory from you're like you're a kid in this collective family unit in whatever religion you were born into or whatever, whatever your culture is. And it's this very collective thing, but then you grow up and um, you kind of individuate and you have to create the boundaries around yourself, choose your own belief system, choose your own whatever. And then the purpose though of this Aquarian consciousness is once you have done that and individuated, then you're like so clear and so connected to your inner soul that you then understand again that we are just all one and then we're all connected. And that's like the way to further this conscious level of compassion. Dang, Amy. That's good. I like that. Well, I mean, it's he yeah. said it. I'm just trying to like for my own self understand it. I like that. So he talks about Yogi Bhajan talks about the five sutras of the Aquarian age. So these are things that we are working towards and what is playing out collectively. So if if you are of the mindset that there are these cosmic energies that are informing our subtle bodies, our soul bodies, our you know, our subconscious minds, then and because we see these things play through the zeitgeist, right? We see things ripple through humanity you know, trends, thought processes, and now things move even quicker because of technology. So you can communicate and find your communities in ways. I I mean, I think of a lot of the people that I really enjoy following, like A, I've never met and B, live all across the planet. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm actually fostering like legitimate friendships with because we're of like minds. And, you know, I'm like, oh, I would be best friends with them if they lived by me. But I don't know that many people that are like this where I live. You know, So it's pretty amazing. Yes. So the five sutras of the Aquarian age are number one, recognize that the other person is you. And you brought that up just a minute ago when you said, after we individuate, we recognize that, oh, actually we're all just this one consciousness. Like there's, we're all this, this God consciousness is within all of us. And so we're all one. And when I'm looking into the other person, they're really a mirror of me, whether it's beautiful, lovely, you know, or if it's, they're showing me a side of them that's difficult, right? Mm -hmm. I often find, you know, why is it that I'm so triggered by certain things? And I think, oh my gosh, it's because there's something in me that I got to really dig into. I got to examine, you know what I mean? Uh, Number two is there is a way through every block. And this is what I like about the Kundalini Yoga tradition is it's, it's solution focused in that you could, there's always a way out, right? We don't have to be stuck in what we're doing. There's always a meditation or a kriya or or something it gives that gives us our power back. That we are not just victims experiencing this world that things are happening to. That we have that our agency and our choice gives us the control back into what what we're doing. So there's always a way through. Yeah, that's very comforting and it's very helpful to me to think of everything. If you think of everything as energy that just needs to like move along, keep moving instead of staying stuck and stagnant, I think that's that's the other thing about Kundalini, which I am I've not done as often as you have, but it is a really helpful way to just think of it in that way. Well, and the only reason I'm even bringing it up right now in terms of just this ideology is that it came from Yogi Bhajan, who was the founder of Kundalini Yoga, so mm-hmm. or who's the one that brought it to the West. I don't know that he he didn't like create it, created it. it came from along. Uh, history of yogis passed down. So uh, yes, and I like that this idea with a way through every block, it's, it makes me think of 
this idea, you know, if we, if we're able to pop our perception out of our lived reality, right? Our physical reality, which, which can be oppressive depending on what circumstance you're in. If you're living in a country where the government is legitimately oppressing you in, in, um, you know, maybe you are in a communist society or you're in a fascist, there's some, you know, you're in a country that where they're really, your human rights are being violated, you know, at the highest, highest level. I mean, yes, that is happening, but at the highest, highest level, there's, there is your mind, right? There is your thoughts that, that can't really be controlled, right? Even though people, I'm sure there's ways that people try to or whatever. So the number three sutra is when the time is on, you start and the pressure will be off. And this is great, right? Because when we get this seed of inspiration, there's that, at least for me, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this. There's almost a panic of like, I got to get this out. How am I going to there's an overwhelm. There's like the inspiration is always for me, at least followed by overwhelm. And so there's this moment of of like, okay, I've got this great idea, or I've got this idea for a project or something. And now I've got to get started. (laughs) And what relieves the pain and the pressure is to just get started. And then once you get the energy flowing, and you start moving in that direction, um, you start to find that there's movement and there's an opening and there's a way to, you know, for more inspiration to come through. I think about this with my meditation practice this morning. I went through, we were traveling a lot over the holidays and I was with my family and we've had a lot of house guests. And so my meditation practice has been all over the map. And to the point where, you know, when you go a couple of days, then you're like, I don't even want to do that. Or maybe I shouldn't, or, you know, there's something that's like preventing me from, from diving back in, even though I know that once I get into it, it's going to be amazing. You know, like it, it always, mm. you always feel amazing when you get back into the practice. And it was like, just like this morning, I just thought, okay, I'm just going to force myself to go downstairs and just start. And I had this wonderful, peaceful amazing experience that totally changed the trajectory of my day. And I'm like, okay, great. Now I've started, I've started my habit again. This is day one of starting my habit and I'm going to keep going. And now the pressure's Yeah. That's amazing. That's such a good reminder because anxiety and worry, that's only a mental thing. Like that lives in the world of the mind. So that will exist as long as you're just sitting around festering about it instead of acting. It doesn't live in like the motion and the action part. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. The number four sutra is understand through compassion or you will misunderstand the times. And I think this comes down to looking at everything that happens with, with, through the lenses of that high frequency. I know in our uh, interview with Remington on this year of 2020, he talked a lot about love with a capital L, like that high love frequency. And I know my shamanic teacher, Danielle, always talks about the L-O-V-E frequency. That's the highest level of compassion. It's not, it's not compassion because we're getting salvation. It's not compassion because we know we should do it. It's not compassion because if I show compassion, then I'm going to get something back from those people and they're going to validate me and tell me that I'm good enough or I'm whatever. It's compassion for the sake of compassion. And when we view life through that pure lens then it kind of unlocks the confusion of what's around us, right? This is how we understand Mm -hmm. what's happening in front of us. And I think too, you notice this when you see people who are, maybe someone comes at you and they're rude or something. Um, I've tried to make it a practice of thinking like, whoa, what happened to them today? 
right? If I'm of my high mind, sometimes I just react and I'm like, you know, those rude people, whatever. But (laughs) if you take a moment, when you look at it through compassion, then you're like, oh, I get it. There's, they must be going through something. There's something's happened. You know, not that we just kind of dismiss everything that goes on as, um, you know, so people aren't accountable, but the idea that we offer compassion, a compassionate heart with them. So number five is vibrate the cosmos and the cosmos shall clear the path. And I think if you, that, that can be a little gibberishy if you aren't like, what does it mean to vibrate the cosmos? What does that even mean? Right. And so Mm. I'll just explain what I think it means for me. And if you have something to add to it, Amy, please do. But when I think about vibrating the cosmos, it's that because where there are these cosmic things happening, right? There's these transits. If we're looking at astrology, like we talked about moving into the Aquarian age. And so the idea is we're moving towards the concept of sharing, caring, inclusion. That is the vibration. It's that moving towards, and really what is the, what is the ultimate cosmos? If we want to call it God, what is the God consciousness, right? So how do we vibrate that consciousness of God. Well, if we bring in that, then, then God will clear the path. So it's really, how do we be in alignment with our highest self, our soul, you know, the divinity that's within us. And that is what will open things for us. So I like, you know, anyway, I just thought that was a nice thing to bring in, in terms of, we're talking about creating collaboration. So we're, so by using the pillars of what it is that we're moving into, the energy that we're trying to help land on the planet right mm-hmm. now, for those of us that are into um, intuitive healing, or we're just we're just you know people that are trying to do our best. How do we how do we help that vibration land in the face of everything else that's going on in our daily life? So anyway, yeah, that's a great that's a great uh, overview of that. Thanks. Yeah. I feel like if I could sum up the last five years of my life, I would say, let's call it, maybe we call it a faith transformation from leaving Mormonism to becoming a shaman and a channel and just focusing full-time on creative pursuits. It would be basically the dismantling of my competitive belief system. And just the idea that it's all or nothing. And this idea of like crushing the competitor, you know, I love a good match. I have a pretty big ego. I'm into like, you know, you get into sports or whatever, and it's like, you want to be the best. You want to run the fastest you want to. And I've learned that that, that might give you a short term, you know, happiness. And I can even think about it in my own business that I, you know, ran for many years. Um, and then I sold, you know, the reason I had to get out of it for me mentally was I just didn't know I I had that really strong competitor mindset, which helped me to be successful, but I didn't have, I didn't, I wasn't able to sustain it. You know, it was, Uh it was something that was totally overdeveloped. And the idea of collaboration was, you know, not in a, in an idealistic sort of way was fine, but in a practical sense was like, but what, you know, there was a lot of fear, you know, what if people copy what I'm doing? What if I'm, you know, there's just, you, you know, you start to raise the stakes and what it is that you're doing in your business and you worry about competitors, which there are going to be. And so how do you create a system? And really our, our current capitalist system is that, you know, you have winners and you have losers <laughs> and this idea that, you know, there is that, right. There is that in society, mm-hmm. but how do we, how do we create systems where more people win? And the way that you do that and the way that I've learned over these last five years of unwinding and unwinding and unwinding and unwinding is through collaboration. So Amy, why don't you tell us about 
shifting the mindset of I need to do it all for it to be done right. Yes. Um, I think being able to trust that other people are capable of completing tasks and creating amazing things. You know, I think like I was the kid in school that I never wanted to work in a group. I dreaded the group projects and because it takes extra energy to incorporate other people's ideas and hold your own ideas more loosely. But mm-hmm. these last few months as I've been setting up this art gallery with my husband, we had a group art show with over 20 local artists in the area. And seeing that come together was just a huge example to me of how much better things are when you include other people. It was just this amazing dimension of richness added to the experience. And then to see people come in and appreciate the artwork and to just to have like enabled other people. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Well, there's something really rewarding, right? When, when you see how, because you decided to be open and lend a hand and inclusive, how other people get to shine and blossom and they're, and it's rewarding. I mean, you, there's something, there is just, there is something really heart centered about that. I don't know. Trying to find the right word for that as well. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's just, I think the control issue, like we all kind of have this need to want to control things or at least to believe that we can control things. And then when you bring in all these other variables in the form of other people, you, you don't know exactly what what's going to happen with it. But that's the really beautiful thing because it makes room for something even more amazing that you just wouldn't have been able to do by yourself. Like it, it wouldn't have happened. So that was a, a really exciting thing to experience this last month. And I'm, I'm so pumped to do all sorts of collaborative activities now. Yes. And I think too, there's also an element of, you know, when you're bringing in like in your sense, right. It, it could be looked at as enabling the competition, right there. If you're looking at it from like a scarcity mindset, it's like, Oh great. I'm giving a platform to all my local competitors. And yet what you see is what you build stronger relationships, your networks, both grow. And that's that mentality of there's enough to go around. Right. We all have to work together to teach our community, you know, to value artwork basically. And like, that's not something that I can do by myself. That's actually something that I was listening to this artist and educator, Emily Jeffords, who, who does really great online artist marketing education type things. And what she was saying was that that's the reason why she provides all of this education for artists, even though it is enabling the competition. She can't do it by herself. You know, if she's the only person over in the corner trying to say this is valuable, this is worthwhile and fine artists should be compensated for the work that they do, you know, it's not going to work. This kind of goes along with the idea of healthy competition, which I don't think is the best word. I don't think competition is the best word to explain it, but surrounding yourself with other people doing amazing things that inspire you. And there's also something about working with, with a team that you see possibilities that you didn't see when you were just alone working on your art in your room or working on your manuscript or thinking up your business idea. When you're in a spirit of collaboration, Mm -hmm. you start to see possibilities and ideas that were not 
aware that you were not aware of before then. So exactly. And you're able to feed off of the creative energy of each other. And that's a beautiful, amazing thing. And I think that can become perverted in the sense that like, if you see someone doing something that you think is really awesome, but isn't necessarily your dream, and you're just Mm -hmm. in this keeping up with the Joneses type situation. Mm -hmm. So I think the important thing to avoid that is to really understand your true dreams and values. So I think that we can really take inspiration and courage from the people around us who are doing things that that we love and that are inspiring to us as long as they are aligned with our dreams and values. And this reminds me of this over this last year, you've been working on this book and I've been kind of building this this gallery space. And for both of us, like when you really started going for your book, I've had it in the back of my mind for a long time. Like I want to write a book. I want to make books. And I was able to like finish illustrating this small poetry book. And that was all because I was inspired by seeing you like really go for it. I'm like, oh my gosh, Hillary's really doing it. I believe it. I believe it can happen now. And then the same thing with the gallery space, you forever have wanted to create your garage rom. Like you've been talking about that for years. And then right, it was the reason we bought the house we did because we had the space. It had that extra space that could be finished into a studio. And you're right. Uh-huh. You're totally right. Once I, once you had moved into your new gallery space and you were like texting me pictures and showing me how amazing you were making it, I was just like, I'm doing it. I'm going to do it today. <laughs> I'm doing it in the next week. You're totally true. You're so, so right. It's great that there is something really important about allowing yourself to be inspired by the people around you and and creating and thoughtfully creating who it is that is in your feed, right? Well, we'll right. use the technological terms, right? Like who is um, occupying the bandwidth that you are occupying? Like who is in right. that space with you? And being really, really intentional about how we curate the people that are around us. That I think you know, if we're really here to do some work and get and change things, that's pretty important, right? And and also right. understanding it's not about being in an echo chamber, but it's really about just surrounding yourself with people who inspire you and who exactly. you you want to be around instead of people who like drain your energy, right? Which brings me to to toxic competition, right? And um, this when we were researching this episode, I thought about co- toxic competition, and the first words that came to my mind were the wounded masculine and wounded feminine. And those are certain things that we learn in shamanism. We learn to look for that in our clients. And so I just did a Google search and found this uh, writer artist, Sarah Lewis, made these this great list of wounded masculine, wounded feminine principles. And this stuff can show up in your field, but it's also, it's just, it's the accumulated internalization of, of trauma in various ways, and then how it is expressed outward that comes from that wound. So the, the wounded divine feminine looks insecure and needs external validation. They can be manipulative. There's no boundaries or self-control. They can come across as inauthentic, don't know how to be receptive, can't control the emotions, is really needy in relationships, right? The wounded masculine is, you know, competitive at all costs always wants to win at all costs, um, is focused on goals and is really attached to the success, right? It's great to be focused on goals, right? There's always the polarities. It's great to have goals. It's great. But if something doesn't go our way and we attach our complete self-worth to it, or if it does go our way and we attach our complete self-worth to it, then then Mm -hmm. what, right? 
and they tend to avoid connection or can be cold and distant. And what healthy feminine, healthy masculine looks like is having having healthy boundaries, um, being gracious in your own strength, being loving and empathetic, being authentic, being be, not being afraid of being who you really are, regardless of the circumstance, um, being able to manifest and create, co- being confident with your own femininity, uh, understanding how to surrender. And the healthy divine masculine looks like not judging, creating safe environments, um, not taking things too personally, being a guiding force, supportive and encouraging. And again, the divine feminine masculine doesn't necessarily mean gender-based. It's these qualities that every person has within us. And mm-hmm. when one of them is really out of balance, we tend to see the other kind of overtake. And I think this is what happens within, you know, kind of that toxic competition is we're always looking to fill this hole within us that can't be filled except mm-hmm. for by self-examining and figuring out, you know, how do we fill that ourselves rather than, you know, doing, doing, doing. So right. this kind of leads me to how do we, how do we find more heart-led collaborations? You know, how do we work together to get more things done? And, you know, writing, writing this book, you brought that up earlier, has been somewhat solitary, but it's also been a real group effort in my, you know, in my experience. My first editor was such a cheerleader and really positive and really helped me to get it off the ground. I'm working with another editor now who's kind of helping me to shape it and get it really tight and doing all of the literary things that are necessary that, um, that my brain doesn't like to do like the technical things. And then I also just think of just generally, you know, how many of my friends I've talked to about, you know, can you read this chapter? Can you tell me what you think? Like, does this make sense? Is this offensive? Is this, you know, is this resonating with you? Am I on the right track? You know, that kind of thing Mm -hmm. that, you know, really any work that we do can be collaborative. And the more people that I've brought into the process, it's felt less isolating and it's been really, really, it's helped me to feel how many people are pulling for me. And that's such a humbling, lovely experience. You know, when you kind of think, you know, you're in the middle, I'm in the middle of my life and it's like, you know, part of it's just being an adult and being like, this is what we have to do. We just got to get through certain parts of our lives. (laughs) And you kind of forget because we don't have those opportunities to have the community always. So anyway, I find that sometimes like you were saying, Amy, early on, the actual practice of collaboration can be where you were like, I don't, I didn't necessarily want to work in groups because there's always an, there can tend to be an imbalance of power, right? Mm -hmm. So what are some of the healthy ways we can deal with that? Well, see, actual practice of collaboration can, I think it can kind of trigger a lot of karma, right? I'm doing more than them. There's dynamics of the group dynamic where some people aren't doing as much as they should. And so this comes down to holding strong communication and being really clear about what your goals are and who you are going to be when you show up today and what you're willing to, you know, hold and what you're not willing to hold. And sometimes, so this is where um, I wanted to bring up this concept for people who are either working in business or working as managers or working, you know, however, whatever the capacity is that you're working. I know there's a lot of people that are independent contractors or are running like small businesses. And so I want to talk about exchanges of energy and having healthy exchanges of energy. And this comes within collaborations. And it also comes down to when you're working with clients as well, you know, what is a healthy exchange of energy? And a lot of times this means monetary compensation. You know, if you're working in a group, let's say 
like Amy and I do the intentionists together and we both have different responsibilities with the intentionists. And sometimes I'm doing more outreach and sometimes she's doing more editing. You probably do more in terms of editing. <laughs> and so there's always a conversation about, you know, how much do we want to do here? And every year you and I get together and we're like, are we still doing this? Are we, how are right. we going to move forward this year? What do we see for ourselves? What is the value? And there's an open dialogue. So I trust that when we're in this partnership, that there's a conversation going on. Right. right. And I think this is how it works too with any partnership that you're in, you know, are you comfortable being honest about who you're being and are you willing to be flexible within the parameters? And so if we're talking about exchanges of energy and we're talking about working with clients, you know, if you're energetic, if you're working with someone and you're learning, then perhaps the fair exchange of energy is that they've given you their time and you've provided a service, right? Mm -hmm. And then as time goes by and you become more versed in whatever offering you're doing, whether you're, whether you're selling product or you're selling services or whatever, you know, that exchange of energy changes and maybe it's more money, maybe it's less, but this is where you want to check in with yourself. What do I want to be? What, what, what are, what am I worth? What do I offer? You know, all of these things. And what is a really fair exchange of energy? Because what are you, if you're offering a lot and the person's leaving and they're like, my life just changed. That mm -hmm. might be worth something to them, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Anyway. That's definitely something I've experienced in doing like freelance graphic and web design work. I think a really good gauge is, I mean, you it's kind of pricing yourself for art, for healing work, any of that. It's it's an art form in and of itself. And you just have to mm -hmm. start somewhere and experiment. And the way the really good gauge for me is if you have received money from someone at the end of it all, do you feel like you've been taken advantage of, you know, do you feel gross about it? Like it's more of a, a gut feeling. And that will tell you that like, oh, you've charged way too little. Or do you feel like you took advantage in like on the other hand, and then maybe you've charged too much for what you what the value that you've offered. So it's a delicate balance that I think can, can be determined just by your own, if you pause and, and take a minute to feel your feelings after that exchange. That's a great, I love that you put that. Yeah. Do you feel gross? That's a great, <laughs> that's a good barometer. It's a scientific measurement tool. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> On the grossometer. How do you feel? <laughs> exactly. Totally. Totally. Um, let's talk about social media just really quick, really quick. Let's gloss yes, over the yes, social yes. media stuff. But um, I have noticed that social media can be just a minefield of competitive triggers, right? Yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> And I, I have to, I try to be conscious about this because I've basically reduced my feed to people who I have a lot of DMs going on with, with people. And some of them are listeners of our podcast, but they're always people that are either entertaining or inspiring or people that I know in real life who I love. Right. Mm -hmm. I've decided that I'm done. Like I was, I was watching some travel blogger or something and it was, everything was like curated to perfection. It was just so, everything was so staged and it was so perfect. And I was just like, man, that's obviously resonating with, with certain people. And if that's what you're into, great. But I want to see like, you know, the beautiful picture and then like, you know, 
the SARS virus that they got afterwards or whatever they were. Like, I want to know what really happened on the trip. I mean, whatever. I'm just yeah. saying you, you get my point, right? Like show me, show me like the stomach bug that you got on your perfect, you know, trip to India or like talk about what, not that I want to see that. I mean, I don't really want to no, see that, but, but it's just like, like, but give you me want the to be full real. picture. Like if I'm going to follow you through India, like tell me what really happened. Right. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm dying to see, I love to see people's stuff. And again, it's, it all just comes down to, you know, that, like you said, the grossometer and understanding that when I'm triggered by something, I'm like, why is that? Why am I so triggered by that? Like that perfectionistic stuff. And I'm like, well, obviously it's my own, my own insecurity about not being perfect enough, but do I want to keep reinforcing that and, and like putting myself in the headspace of feeling like I've got to do that. And I've got to like have this war within myself every time I see certain things. No. So I'm just, I'm removing myself from that and they can go on and like take the perfect shot and God bless them. Right. But mm-hmm. the point being, you know, how do we, how do we want to curate our realities? I think we talked a little bit about this when we talked about, we did a social media one. We did a yeah, social media right. episode back in the yeah, day. It was right? like conscious consumption. Like of right. social media. Yeah. Yeah. You have something from the old wise Brene Brown. Exactly. Thing. Yeah. So right along with comparison, she in her lovely book, The Gifts of Imperfection, talks about comparison and conformity as these sides that uh, increase competition, decrease your sense of general well-being and uh, connectiveness with people. And She says that embracing our own creativity is kind of the antidote to this toxic way of comparing to other people. And what she says in the book, she says, comparison becomes this crushing paradox of fit in and stand out. It's not cultivate self-acceptance, belonging, and authenticity. It's be just like everyone else, but a little better. And creativity, which is the expression of our originality, helps us stay mindful that what we bring to the world is completely original and cannot be compared. So making our creativity a priority will continually reinforce that understanding in our minds that we are this unique being with something unique to offer. And and therefore, so is everyone else. This helps us have more kind of compassion for other people, too. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, I find that prioritizing my creativity is the number one predictor of my current state of well-being. So um, amen to that. Amen to that. Why don't you talk a little bit about what we've been up to really quick? Yeah, let's take a (laughs) minute and introduce ourselves for the new, for people who may be new here in this space. So I'm Amy and I'm a graphic designer, artist, poet, and now director of the Copper Wolf Art Gallery. So you can see and purchase my work online at amyschreiber.com, A-I-M-E-E-S-C-H-R-E-I-B-E-R.com. And you can follow along with my adventures on Instagram. And so right now I am currently accepting uh, commissions for art pieces and planning our next big group gallery show called Deep Space. We did our first one called The Deep Forest, and then we're going to do Deep Space, and then Summertime is going to be Deep Sea, and then Deep Sleep for the fall. So it's kind of 
that's the the schedule of um, group exhibits this year. So I'm really excited to uh, have this new space to enable artwork in my community up here. You can uh, see the current exhibit up on thecopperwolf.com if you're interested. Do you have any of the highlights up on your Instagram? I don't think I have the highlights. I should put a highlight. I feel like we that. should put a highlight tab on our intentionist Instagram. Don't you think? Every so often I'll share. I kind of do most of the stories on our Instagram, but I think, uh, I like to, I like to pump Amy up cause she doesn't, she doesn't like to toot her own horn. So <laughs> let me do it for you. Cause it's really great. I, have, I just have too many so tiny, good. I have too many tiny horns to toot all at once. So like <laughs> <laughs> between yeah. the, the copper wolf page of the intentionist and the, my personal <sighs> ones. So. I know. Right. <laughs> Speaking of bandwidth, right? Yes, exactly. it was. You're so great. I loved seeing the pictures. I'm so proud of you. And I think, um, yeah, your art is so great. I have some hanging in my house. And yeah, check Amy out. She's amazing. Thanks so Thank much, Hillary. Uh, I'm Hillary. I'm Hillary Zwallen. I'm finishing up my first novel, which feels like it's never ending, but I'm now in the home stretch. So huzzah. I'm also a shamanic practitioner. So for years I've been operating basically by word of mouth, but I do have a nationwide shamanic practice. So I'm offering, I'm just now opening up more sessions. I've been not really promoting it too much on the podcast because I've been writing a book and I've been spending a lot of time doing that. So I'm offering private sessions. They're one and a half hour shamanic energy healing and intuitive um, coaching sessions. If you don't live in my town, which is Modesto, California, then I conduct sessions on Zoom. And I really love that. It's it's a really great way to connect with people. And I find I get a really clear read, even though it's distance. And for locals, I'm offering group circles and corporate mindfulness experiences and coaching. So you can check out my website for more information. And if that's not live yet, by the time this goes up, because I'm work, Amy's helping me, we're getting it going finally. If you're interested, you can just DM me on our intentionists Instagram or my personal Instagram, which is Hillary, H-I-L-A-R-Y-Z-W-A-H-L-E-N. So I'm also for people who live in Utah, I'm planning my summer and I might stay some extra time in Utah when I'm visiting my family. So if you are in Utah and you're listening to this and you want to put together some sort of a circle or corporate event or you or have a private session, just email me at intentionists with an S at gmail.com and we can design your experience. Hooray. Yes. And I have a little testimonial for you, Hillary. Anyone who is interested in this type of work definitely get a session because I've had many from her over the years and they have all been amazingly accurate and hopeful. You know, that's always the the word that I walk away with. I feel hopeful and excited that life is more miraculous and magical than I felt it was before talking to her. Aww. So it's, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate that. Really, Appreciate really good it. work. Thank you. All right. So we are winding up here with our episode. There's, I want to just go back through, we, we kind of touched on the fair exchange of energy and, mm -hmm. but why don't we go through that in our final creative challenge for, for our listeners? Yes. Um, let's see. We talked about understanding value. We talked about working on group projects and we talked about understanding your goal. And this is something that I wanted to talk about was understanding the goal of what it is that you're doing. And that's, this is like a, you know, I mean, every freaking business podcast from here to Timbuktu is like, understand your goal. But it's also 
something that we, you know, yeah, understand your goal, right? <laughs> so <laughs> sometimes whatever we're doing, like, like for us, we talk a lot about creativity and sometimes it's just to make, like, make us happy for the day, right? Like, let's just mm -hmm. do something to like bring ourselves back into balance. But sometimes you want to make freaking money or you want to gain, you know, you want to gain, maybe you just need to gain experience or sometimes you just want to have fun or you want your goal to be, your goal is to give back to the community. So be really clear about how you walk into whatever circumstance that you're collaborating with and be clear about what it is that you want to create. Is this a monetary thing? Sometimes this means that we're sharing the burden. It doesn't always mean that everything is equal. And maybe sometimes it's just an exchange of time. Amy, you want to talk about the creative challenge? Yes. So we want to encourage all of you to do a vision painting with a family member or a friend. And if you look back in our episodes, our first episode from last year, Hillary and I did a vision painting together. And that's where you write down everything that you want to call into your lives on a small canvas. And then you take turns painting over this canvas. And it can be very abstract or you can paint symbols and specific objects, but this is just supposed to be a very low pressure, fun way to join energy with someone else in a magical and creative way. And we had so much fun doing this and we were really surprised and thrilled with the results from our vision painting last year, Hillary. We got to oh do it gosh. again. Yeah, I know. I was just thinking that as you were saying it, it was so fun because we didn't, we write everything down together. Like we kind of yes. came up with, we, and, and we divided the canvas in half. This was something that I thought was good, which is half of the canvas was what are we letting go? And the other half of the cam canvas was what are we calling in? Oh, that's right. And then, yeah. and then we painted over it and then I had it for the evening and I kind of painted my thing, which wasn't that good because I'm not a great artist, but Amy is a great artist. So she took what I wrote or what I did and she turned it into like these beautiful birds and all these things. And it was like the coolest painting because it had both of our creativity in it. And it really helped to solidify our vision for what we wanted to create. And what I think is interesting is we had all this stuff about like, now that I'm thinking back a year later, we were talking all, we had all the stuff that we wanted to do with the podcast. And it was way more than what we ended up doing with the podcast, but everything that we we called in all this other stuff in our personal experiences. Like I really think that mm -hmm. the gallery and the book and everything else was really created from that intention. So it's interesting how sometimes things come out when you do your vision boards and it's like, I got everything I wanted. And sometimes it just comes out in a completely different way, but that, that frequency is what's informing it. And that I think is holding it loosely is something that I try to have as a little mantra when I'm, creating these intentions. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely agree. And I like, didn't even think about that until now, but it really, when you have your intention as this quality of being like peacefulness or compassion or, or anything like that, like there are so many ways to accomplish that, that you, and that's kind of like the universe's job, you know, to come up with the means. But if you can hold the vision of, of the quality that you want to inhabit in your life, then, then yeah, it can happen in surprising and exciting ways. And we have some really exciting guests coming up on the podcast. So stay tuned for those interviews coming up. And oh my gosh, yes, we yeah. have really great guests lined up for this season. That is what we spent the last couple months doing. We were cleaning house, figuring out tidying up our own personal projects and reaching out to some really awesome guests. So I'm very excited for who we have coming. Me too. So. 
And thanks for joining us today. Yes, have a great week. Before we part, we'd like to say thanks for listening and we hope you'll connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We would love to hear from you and appreciate all feedback, shares, and likes. To learn more and subscribe to our newsletter, visit intentionists.com. And no matter where you are or what you're creating, we send you love and invite you to breathe and begin. See you next week.